0: I got to pause it because this again is not, this is not biblical instruction here. This is cult-like teaching. In many cases, like he knows more than we know. He yeah. studies the Bible all the time. I, I could just be out of line for thinking this way.
1: He's hearing from God. And- Who
0: am I to question? I just better go along. The pastor said so. To the Grace Escape podcast.
1: Yes, welcome one, welcome all.
0: (laughs) Start the sound
1: the same every time. We need to come up with a new opening line.
0: Well, we do welcome all that are listening, and uh, we are back here on the podcast for another week.
1: Yes, thank you for joining us. If you're new, welcome, welcome. My name is Tiffany.
0: (laughs) And I'm Justin.
1: And through Grace, we escaped a high control fundamental Pentecostal church. Oh, that we spent over 30 years in.
0: Was that um big sigh of relief or a big sigh of something else?
1: It was a big sigh of remembrance of mm-hmm. all those years.
0: Carrying heavy burdens that um, were put on us by pretty much uh, one big role of the church, which we're going to talk about today.
1: Yes. Yes. The pastor role is what we're going to talk about today. I'm um, a little bit more leaning on the side of the authority part of it all, um, but we'll talk about the role itself. Yeah, we've
0: mentioned it well. uh, a few times in some of our other episodes, just um, in these high control churches, the pastor's role is the what I like to call sometimes the CEO role. Yeah, he's making all the decisions. He's um, from the the high level decisions down to sometimes some of the m- most minuscule mm-hmm. decisions of the church. Yeah, and yes. then also sometimes on an individual person's life, where yeah. he's saying whether you can do things in your life, whether that be go on vacation or date someone or get married, and in many of these churches and systems, the man, that one man is put up on such a pedestal in such a way that they make or are supposed to be a huge influence in any decision you make in life. Yes. And so what we want to talk about in our conversation today is just what does that look like? What
1: are the dangers of that? Because, Well,
0: yeah, and what does the Bible say? really when it comes down yeah. to it because the word pastor is only in the bible one time and it's used in a plural sense and so i know that the church organization that we came out of has some documentation on what their structure looks like um as mm-hmm. far as uh church structure and Hierarchy. what the pastor's role is and they've adopted some new rules on that back in 2019 and so Uh, We might talk about that uh, a little bit in today's episode if we have time, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's just important to point out too that it's the pastor role is so prominent and so prevalent uh, in the Christian mind today that um, they can be all we think about. They can be more better known and given a lot more honor and... um, Notice than Jesus Christ Himself.
0: Yeah, I would. I would go as far to say that they're really the fundamental figure in the modern they church are. system. Like
1: everything, everything revolves around.
0: Particularly when you start to look at the mega church and the larger churches, yeah. the uh, whole system kind of centers around the popularity. Really centers around that one man's personality or his preaching yeah. style. And as we've seen in recent history, or well, recent times, there's just one more falling out
1: after yeah. another
0: with these celebrity pastors. There's several documentaries on the, uh, on the web now or whatever platform you stream um, things where they're talking about some of these big well-known names that have fallen. They were living deb- double lives and sometimes yes. not just even the mega church pastors that would probably lean more on the charismatic or popular side but even some of the even some of the more uh what you would call apologetic preachers or ones that were considered more uh safe if you want to mm-hmm. use that word um and so I think the conversation kind of is, okay, what kind of authority do they have in our lives? Is it an authority where every single thing that we do in our life has to be asked if we can do it,
1: (laughs) gotten permission, (laughs) gotten permission? (laughs) Well, and I want to talk to, as always, we try to be relevant to our audience and, and we hope that our audience is people that are, um, either in these systems and trying to get out Mm -hmm. or already out and you can have this so far stuck in your head, this, this, um, the, the requirement of this role in your life, in your life, this pastor role that, um, I know people who are trying to get out that feel like they have to ask or talk to the pastor about their concerns or talk to the pastor about wanting to leave and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I kind of just I I feel like it's almost the the worst person you can talk to <laughs> about it because they are they're not going to be nice they are not going to be mm-hmm. listening they are not um yeah so it's it's
0: yeah and I think sometimes that comes out of a genuine heart of wanting to not hurt feelings not Wanting, you know, in some cases you have a relationship you've built up or you may be in some cases part of a department or even in a leadership position. I know for myself, I was in a longtime leadership position. I had been for um, involved in many departments in the church. And so you almost have to have some communication I know sure. that's a question that gets asked sometimes is like, what, how do I do that? Or what does that look like? And I don't think there's a one size fits all answer for that. For myself, I kind of went back and forth on what I was going to do when I left the church in my communication with the pastor. Cause again, mm-hmm. it's the CEO CEO role. Yeah. In some of these larger churches, like mega churches, you may not have access to the pastor directly. It may be somebody underneath that, but in our case, you know, our church, everything flowed through him. And so for me, it was, it it ended up coming down to, I'm going to write a letter Mm -hmm. because I want this to be documented. I want it to be very clear on the reasons why I'm leaving. And I don't want my words to be twisted or um, misconstrued or just getting in the moment where you're talking face to face and there's emotion and you don't get to say the points that you want to say. And so for myself, it was like, I want to at least have my first communication be a very direct and clear letter of the reasons why I'm leaving the church. And with that, if there's a follow-up conversation, maybe that will happen. Maybe it won't happen. In my case, it didn't end up happening because of the communication I got back. But um, if you have a pastor who maybe is doesn't lean on the more abusive side or going to twist your words and you feel like maybe you can have a good conversation, then I'm not saying that that isn't an option.
1: Well, we were watching a video the other day about um, a family that has been confronting Their music pastor and their pastor both about um, song lyrics and Mm -hmm. the direction that their music is going and kind of looking a bit like Bethel or or Hillsong type songs, worship and um, contemporary lyrics that are very heretical, and they've gotten some, they've been able to wait, you know, forge a path by doing that, which I've, I absolutely respect and think that's wonderful, but that's not a lot of the case. And yeah, so.
0: Well, and in our case, we're, we were part of what we believe is a very unscriptural, um, system where there's a lot of twisting in the Bible. And we've shown in some of our past recent episodes, how they take scripture and, um, twist it. Mm-hmm. And so for myself, it was like, I saw so many doctrinal and system wide, um, issues that it wasn't like going to the pastor and talking about it was going to do anything about it.
1: And my, my, uh um. My plan for leaving was (laughs) more avoidance. And because I am a people pleaser, it was easier for me to write an email that was very short. I think it was one sentence, basically, that said I was uh, giving my notice and I no longer aligned with their belief system. And so that was the way I saw fit, and it worked for me. Um,
0: well, I think it boils down to what kind of relationship you had with this person and what you feel most comfortable with. There is again, no one size fits all, but if you're in a system or you are in a church or under a leader that you know is going to be abusive in the conversation, why put yourself through more of that is what I'm going to say, uh, right off the top. And secondly, um, do you have any scriptural basis where you have to get the authority That's from him to say. leave anyways?
1: Yeah. Do you owe him an explanation?
0: I would say if there is blatant abuse, you don't owe them anything. Get out. As, as fast co- as possible. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to play a clip. Um, it's an only an audio clip. Um, yeah,
1: sorry about that, but it's... It's super good. So (laughs) it's a,
0: it's a perfect example. And I think we can start off right with that, unless there's anything else that you want to say, just, um, just to show you how they can twist the words of the Bible. And, um,
1: well, and I think it'll just solidify the role that they think that they play. Uh,
0: yes, very much so. And just a trigger warning. If you don't like screaming and, uh, this hyper Pentecostal kind of speech, then you might want to
1: past 30 seconds
0: or something, but. (laughs) Anyways, I like to give a trigger warning because it can be triggering.
2: When the servant came before Rebecca and her family, the question was asked, will you go with this man? Will you go with this man? And Rebecca said, I will go. And she arose and followed the man. She followed the man. I want to tell you something, men. The only way you're ever going to get to Christ is to follow a man of God. The only way that you're ever going to make it in the rapture is to follow a man of God.
1: Oh, boy.
2: Amen. You can't make it without a pastor. You can't be saved without a pastor. You need a pastor, and you need to imitate him. You need to be like him. You need to look at your pastor. Take a close look at him.
0: Okay, Um, we got to stop it right there. Um, There's so much to unpack in that. And... um, Oh boy. This is, this is from a, um, Pentecostal apostolic preacher. It's from a ways back, but this is something that you will hear in these churches. This is not just picking one of these out. But I think the point I was wanting to make right off the bat is that this is taking a passage of scripture to prove a point that they want instead of letting the scripture in its context speak for speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And so this whole um, sermon, if you want to call it that, is called Apostolic Attitude. It's uh, Nathan Dudley, and we'll link the full thing below. And uh, spiritualabuse.org actually has a whole article that includes some about this guy. Mm. I want to give her credit because she has been... Um, oh. On this for more than twenty years, Fighting exposing yeah. um, spiritual abuse in the church system, and yes. so we'll mm-hmm. link the article to her um, website below as well. Yes. Um, thank so. you
1: to her for doing the work. She is exposing things, and um,
0: yes, and the time and resource that she puts in, we yeah. know just a little bit that we do for the podcast, and she's been doing it for over twenty years. So, um, yeah. thank yeah. you
1: for that. So I what well what I want to point out is that. They they are telling you to imitate them Mm -hmm. and to copy them, but what if they're living a hypocritical or double life? I mean, we have found that out by these past, especially recently in the in the celebrity church culture. These men were leading double lives for years and years and years. We know of a pastor that um, we knew personally that we found out you know twenty years after he had been um, abusing young girls that he was up pastoring for all those years. Mm-hmm. So how do you follow him when he's following Christ? If he's not following Christ?
0: Well, not only that, but in this story, and that's such a good point. um uh, And we know of several, again, like spiritual abuse, Lois over at spiritual abuse has been doing this for years, exposing these um, so-called leaders and pastors and that sort of thing. Um But, in this story, the servant doesn't become the husband and the and Rebecca doesn't follow the servant the rest of her life. No. So it falls apart if you just look at it.
1: Oh, I it, didn't even think about that. For
0: one second, it <laughs> falls apart. So again, the scripture points us to Christ and that's what the main point of the scripture is. Yeah. Um, not, doesn't point us to a pastor. And no, so this is what you will hear is, passages like this taken out of context and twisted to bolster their point of what they're trying to make which is in this case you have to have a pastor in your life to be saved you have to have a pastor in your life if you're going to have anything
1: go up in the rapture he said yeah i mean well and i'm just thinking like i know a pastor that sits on the pulpit in his chair until it's time for him to go up and preach. Well, he is on his phone a ton of the time. He's sitting during worship. And, but yet when he gets up to preach, he harps on his people about being demonstrative in their worship and not being on their phones. So then how would you imitate him doing what he's doing during the song set um, you, I'll tell you how you it's a, that.
0: it's a class system. There's two, there's two classes in the modern Christian church. And that is the laity and the clergy, the clergy. I did that wrong. The clergy <laughs> and the laity, right? There's, it's a two yeah. class system. In fact, even in that document that I was talking about of the UPCI and their ch- church government structure or whatever you want to call it, mm. it 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 very plainly at the beginning points out that you have the pastors and you have the saints and yeah. they put them in quotes like they really want to make sure that you understand that we have a two-class system here in the church system the pastors are up on the pedestal or the stage in many cases sure. and this congregations are the congregants are below listening following every word yeah. Follow me as I follow Christ, everything i'm I do you're supposed to imitate it yeah, those I mean, scriptures taken out of context again
1: and this isn't to say of course that it isn't helpful for you to have mentors and elders in your life, especially when you're a new Christian mm-hmm. you know of course and um but but to take <laughs> scripture and and we're going to point out some of the scriptures they use or some of the phrases they use to take those to mean that you need. One man. One man. One man. Because most churches don't have a multitude of pastors. They have one.
0: Right. And even in that case, you're still only going to have one that's making all the decisions. And all the other pastors, the under pastors are going to be just, again, placating to what the, the main senior leader is telling them to do. Mm -hmm. We've mentioned the term before. Um, and I really think that in most of these cases, um, it's a cult of personality because you want to hear from this man every week, what he has to say, because if you don't hear what he has to say, then you don't know what to do in life. I'm going to just be, it's like they set you up for failure. In, in, do. In, in, in a way because how are you going to know which way to go unless this vision casting leader who hears from God every week can come and tell you exactly what you're supposed to know and hear and do.
1: They make you very dependent on them.
0: And we're going to prove, uh, or maybe proves not the right word, but we're going to point out show. Mm-hmm. and show scripturally that the authority doesn't come from the position Right. Every biblical example and the examples they would use like Moses or Paul or Timothy or even Jesus Christ, like they got their authority from God directly. Yeah. And that authority was based on speaking truth. truth, Which is the word. And not just because of the title, not just because of the position.
1: The office that needs to be filled. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: you've pointed out already in this episode like what happens what happens mm-hmm. when you place all of your author, uh, all of your um trust and authority in one man. Yeah. And something happens.
1: I know. It can be so damaging, of course, a lot of this stuff that we talk about is damaging to faith. It's damaging to your growth as a Christian. And so it's definitely important for us to uh, go to Scripture and to find out where our authority lies, where where authority lies.
0: Yeah, well, and when we look at Scripture in the New Testament, and we look at some of the early church structure, mm-hmm. we can see words like bishop and elders and. And that sort of thing, right? And so that's where they get a lot of this from. But when we look at church history, and so much of our lens of what church history looks like is based a lot on just our (laughs) own you know 20 30 40 50 60 years yeah. living in a western culture and what that looks like yeah. um, it's very hierarchical uh, again the pastor sits on the top it's not a circle it's not it's not every member functioning it's not a a in many cases a, a group of elders mm-hmm. that are appointed by those that are in the body locally In most cases, the pastor is either um, been chosen because he's made that decision in his own life to be a pastor in in large part, or it's just come down the bloodline. You know, my dad was a pastor, and his dad was a pastor, so that means I'm just entitled to be a pastor. I'm the next one. I would say that alone is a big red flag. If you are in a system where the son or the son's son is the pastor, and it's only that way because it's a generational prime example of nepotism, like that should be a red flag because we don't have that example in the Bible. I'm not saying that if your dad was a pastor or your dad was a leader or an elder that you can't be one either. I'm just saying that it should be at least a flag to go, wait, why is it that he's a pastor? Is it only just because his dad was and so he just inherits the position?
1: I know, that's that uh, that was the system we were a part of. And I remember when the new pastor was voted in, it wasn't really a vote. It was just, of course, this is going to be our next pastor. And everyone's like, yes, Mm -hmm. you know, there was no room for saying no.
0: Well, and you're groomed in a way, I'll use that term, because it wasn't like it was one day and then the next day it was over time. And so they've already become a leader or they've already had a pastoral role for some time. And so, but I think that when you look at the history of just church in large part from the early church until now, until now, there wasn't always the pastor role in churches at all.
1: No, no. In fact, um, the pastor role didn't show up, or leadership actually, as far as like an official office or position to fill didn't show up until the second century. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's important to point out that because of the, or since I should say, not because of the fall of sin, there's been a constant desire in people to want someone
0: to rule over them, (laughs) to
1: rule over them or some sort of physical leader to bring them to God. And because of this, we have created the two class system Mm -hmm. of clergy and laity. Um, I'll just point out a couple places in scripture where people wanted someone to lead them. Um, well, I'll, first I'll, talk, I'll say Numbers 11, 26, and 27 talks about how Moses was against this sort of class system that had tried to control God's people. And uh, then another example is Exodus 20 and 19. The people wanted Moses to be a mediator between them and God. They didn't feel, I mean, this is God's people. Mm-hmm. Who he was the direct headship over them uh, 1 Samuel eight nineteen God wanted his people to live under his direct headship, but they wanted a human king instead and then a great example in the New Testament is third John nine and ten di- diotrophies maybe he loved dominance in the church and illegitimately took control of the church's affairs. So we see this from the beginning of time that we as a people want a person that is telling us either what to do or how to get to God.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it is because of the fall uh, in so many ways that um, we are, uh, (laughs) we have this this separation from our creator because of sin. And so in some cases we didn't have access to the father now through grace and Jesus's sacrifice. We have access, but, um, throughout history, if you look at it, you really don't see like official, um, leadership in the church up until this, uh, until the second century where the pastor role really took off. And in fact, you know, in, in, if you look at it, it really is, you know, the pastor just replaced the priest in yeah. the Catholic system.
1: Yeah, that is what happened. Um, and, I mean, we're, refer- we're referring to the role itself, like to the office itself. We're not referring to any person in particular. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like we have to say this because <laughs> people think we're coming against people, but we're not. There are wonderful men out there that have a true desire to s- to serve their brothers and sisters in the Lord Mm -hmm. and have a heart to share the gospel. We're all preachers. So I don't really care to label a pastor as a preacher. Um, because I think we all now are given the commission to, to share the gospel Yeah, and that's preaching. Good point. So, um, I just want to put that out there. There's very yeah. honorable and decent men out there. That yeah, I think serving. what we're
0: really pointing out is this idea that we need a modern Moses in our lives. Yeah. You know, we need someone. Well,
1: that's what they use. That's what pastors use. Oh as yeah, their role. Oh yeah.
0: Um, some other scriptures that I think we should point out that are um, taken out of context is the First Chronicles passage where, um, it talks about um, touching not the anointed one, or do the prophets no harm. Um, This this is
1: used as proof that you
0: shouldn't talk against yeah. them or say anything question or, or anything. question. And so I just want to get that kind of in there right now because we're, we're kind of treading on that ground for some where they would say, Ooh, boy, you better be careful about talking yeah. about, uh, the man of God. Right. Yeah. Um, this, this passage again is it's a Psalm. It's a song. It's, it's a part of a larger, um, of passage, of course. And, um, it's, it's not talking about modern day pastors. No,
1: it is not.
0: Um, it's talking directly to the people of Israel and, um, it's talking about physical, um, yeah,
1: like a physical attack or yeah. to, to kill the, t- the word touch mm-hmm. like in the, in the original and it, yeah. god
0: so it doesn't mean anything like we can't question, what a modern pastor would say or we can't point out or reveal, um, false teaching and come against that. Confronting
1: is biblical and exposure is biblical. We have uh, a few examples is Samuel and Saul and, uh, David and Saul and Paul and Peter. Yep. I mean, Paul, took him to school. Yeah.
0: Because he was, (laughs) he was creating this class system and God doesn't like that. He doesn't like us to put people in different class systems. And I think that over time, that's what's really happened with this, this class system where you have the the special people that they're the ones that hear from God. They're the ones that, um, are giving an account for your soul. Another scripture taken out of context, like, and you just don't know what to do without that. Like you, yeah. you're not going to know what to do unless they're speaking into your life. Every single Weak and in many cases they're not handling God's word correctly in the systems that we're talking about specifically. No. Again, we're not talking about a healthy church system or a healthy healthy leadership structure. What we're talking about here, in many cases, are these high control, hyper charismatic churches where everything uh, operates in this really, uh, in a way of twisting God's word to control people. Yeah, and I'm. Uh, just, I had this sense of wanting to talk about spiritual abuse a little bit more this month, and so one of the ways I think that these systems are so controlled are by this one man leader, where everyone gets all of their uh, authority from him and what they can do, say, and believe.
1: And they perpet the pastors perpetuate that by getting up and saying, "I heard from the Holy Spirit," mm-hmm. I had a dream, of, you know, from God this message tonight or this sermon tonight was given to me straight from prayer you know and god talking to me so it's like you get worried and scared when they say things to you like touch not thine anointed um about themselves that puts fear in people so then you just don't question they know exactly what they're doing it makes me really mad but i was thinking of another way that they um they kind of twist is that they're calling to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, going to senior camp, which was a camp for teenagers that were, I think 15 and 15 to 20 or something, 15 to 19 or something. It was a summer camp for a week and, um, preaching, preaching, preaching like every morning, every night, took up your whole day practically. And uh, I remember them shoving this idea of being called into the ministry into our heads. And I wanted that so bad that I, because a lot of, pastors would say that they were called at like these youth camps and stuff, you know, and they were because they had been down at the altar praying for hours and hours. They really felt the call of God on their lives to be a preacher or pastor or evangelist or whatever. And I just remember feeling so much pressure about that because not that women would ever be pastors in the organization we were in. Cause that wasn't really very much of a thing. Um, but I wanted to be doing something for God. And so I wanted to be called so bad that I went to the altar. I remember one night in particular going to the altar and just crying, 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 praying so hard um, and just hoping that that would be enough for me to be called.
0: <laughs> like, And why did you feel like that was so, I mean, just because they were preaching it or... You thought that you weren't going to be a Christian or what, unless you were doing something.
1: Well, I think it was about being more special than others because, because there is that class system. Mm -hmm. So you want to be something that is, you know, for a girl growing up in the UPC, it was you wanted to marry a preacher or a pastor really bad or an evangelist because you just were, would be looked at as more important. So I just remember that but what I wanted to say about this whole calling thing that they that they say so much is there's no way to verify that someone has been called to be a pastor. I mean they they just say it. Right? So unless you unless they've lived a life of exempling Christ and kind of proving with their reputation that they can be what a biblical example of it would be is an elder. All we have, it seems like, in the in the modern day church is this I was called, you know, I've I've been called to be
0: a pastor. Yeah. And then again, if you're if your dad is a preacher, then the calling just kind of falls right on you.
1: Right. And there's just for me, there's just no way to verify that. Well
0: no, because we do have scripture to that it, that gives clear indication of what um, elders, the qualification of elders in a church are. Yeah, And so you don't get that position until you're qualified for that. So having a calling on your life, you may feel called to to do something for God, but to say I'm called to be a pastor when you haven't even lived long enough to have the yeah. qualifications, again, that's, that should be somewhat of a flag there because it's not following the biblical model of the way that uh, uh, elders were appointed in the church. Right. So let's let's hear from uh, Pastor Nathan Dudley again, and see what (laughs) he has to say about the role of the pastor.
2: Okay. Followers of me. Paul said, you may have 10,000 instructors, there may be 10,000 preachers that come by and preach unto you and you need to listen to every one of them but you've only got one daddy and you've only got one man that you need to follow and that is your pastor. One man.
0: So you have one man. Does that make that the does that make him a mediator between you and God if you have the one man
1: that you have to follow? Uh I think so, but scripture says
0: scripture Something says different. much different that we have one mediator between God and man and that is the man Christ Jesus. The
1: man Christ Jesus. He's the only one that is our headship. So oh
0: this this is just this is the kind of craziness that you get with the one man system where you have the one man system and so I I think if we look to the Bible we have no biblical support for this.
1: We don't. There's not even one single verse that that shows the pastor role. So we have one scripture that says the word pastor, but it says pastors, plural.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's um, in context, The, the sec- it's uh, Ephesians 4. And in context, it's talking about the unity of the body of Christ. And it's verse 11 where it says, and he gave apostles... He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Well, shepherds is is pastors. I'm reading. Right. I'm reading the ESV, but mm-hmm. um, KJV would say, or King James version would say, pastors. Meaning, and and that word pastors does mean shepherds, which is a function should be a function in the church, not like an office or role that needs to be filled by one man.
0: Right. And I think if you look at an example that the UPC would use, um, which is Titus one and five, where they say that he, Titus was appointing pastor, uh, appointing a pastor, the scripture actually says appointing elders, and it's using a plural uh, context there. So again, when we look at these scriptures, like you read Ephesians, um, they're all plural.
1: Yes, and it's just one, it, it never offers a definition or a description of who those pastors are mm-hmm. or what they're doing. So all we have is, shep, is the meaning, which would be a shepherd. And that's one of many functions in the church. Right,
0: And I think you would get the argument that these pastors are in some cases under an elder board and that they're being governed and they're being watched over. But again, that's not the context of what we're talking about here. We're talking right. about the one man sitting in this seat, yeah, making all the decisions, everybody looking to them for the direction, looking for, to them for the vision for the year, for the, for the vision for their life. For the vision and the instruction of what to do in every situation. And that we just don't have you can't take an old testament passage of Isaac and Rebecca and the servant going and getting them, getting her, and use that to twist that
1: she followed him, and so then he's a pastor all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I mean and what you pointed out was so good about how she didn't follow him forever. Um, okay, so then also in First Corinthians twelve through fourteen, every member has both the right and the privilege to minister in a church meeting, and I would argue in the church body. So that goes against the one man that he's given himself the right and the privilege (laughs) to be the one that ministers, you know? And then in 1 Peter 2, every brother and sister is a functioning priest.
0: Would God set up a system? I'm just going to throw this question out. Would God set up a system that would be so rife with abuse? Like, that to me seems not the way that God would do things. I think when you have biblically appointed elders in Mm -hmm. a church, biblical biblical appointed shepherds in a church body where every member is functioning and you can see Mm -hmm. the lifestyle and these men are chosen because they are biblically qualified. And I want to read this Titus that I just mentioned. The qualifications... For the elder, um, he says in verse five, "This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders (plural) in every town, as I direct you." And if and here he goes in verse six, "If anyone is above reproach, mm. the husband of one wife, and children children have to be believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be one." Must be above reproach. Oh boy! He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain. Oh my! That disqualifies a lot so many, of them. So But many. hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. How do you How do you appoint these people until you have watched them live yes. a life and? If your children aren't believers, then that disqualifies you to be an elder.
1: If you haven't lived above reproach.
0: And then verse nine, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Oh man. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound teaching or doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict (laughs) it. So, I mean, here we have in in, uh, Titus, clear instruction and example of how you would to appoint elders in the early church. And that is, you just, you don't see that as the qualifications in these churches where the pastors are falling.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wanted to read uh, Jeremiah 17, where it talks about trusting in the Lord and not in man. Starting in verse five, it says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. So definitely the contrast between putting all of our trust in one man, as opposed to putting our trust in God. Yeah.
0: It's kind of like Psalms 118, eight, where it says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to put trust in man. Mm -hmm. So I think the point in our conversation here, and I'm I think we're on the same page here. What we're trying to say is it's not that you can't have biblical elders in your life or you can't be part of a body where there's shepherds and elders that are instructing and and doing those things. I think that the point that, and the larger point that we want to make is that having one man making all those decisions is a dangerous place to be.
1: It is, and it it, um, it damages the, the body of Christ, the life that can um, be produced in that sort of environment where every member is functioning. I, I just think about how a pastor would want you to be involved in ministry quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, sing in the choir or participate as an altar worker or teach a Sunday school class or something like that, or put together my PowerPoint presentation. But all those things really do aid the pastor's ministry. Yep. So it's not really your own ministry of sharing the gospel or attending to the body of Christ as As for edification. Well, and
0: as we see in 1 Corinthians, every member had a song or a word or whatever. And so as you come together in these kind of situations, you can really um, see what Christ wanted the church to look like because with every member bringing those things and functioning together that way, you can minister one to another and really see what's going on instead of one man getting the word from God that may or may not apply. And yeah. particularly if they're twisting God's word just to feed their own agenda, which is what I'm seeing more and more as I listen to these modern charismatic pastors, it's like they yeah. have an agenda they want and um, it seems like they're on your side. But in some cases I would argue that they're not They're They're no. just, they're trying to support their role and support maintain
1: and maintain
0: too. and also just grow the numbers. Yeah. Right. It's all about numbers in a lot of cases.
1: It really is. And, and so many times they're very insulting to people. I, I'm almost convinced that they don't really even like their members. They're very... Mean a lot of times, and
0: well, you know, why I would say that is the case is because I don't think they're a biblical example, um, or I don't see them lining up with a biblical pastor, and so I think they're fulfilling a man made role, yes. And so, of course, there's going to be issues. It's just like yeah. when Israel wanted a king, and that wasn't God's plan, of course, it was again it had all sorts of complications and all sorts of, um, issues. Let's put it that way. Someone put it like this, that, um, when you have the pastor, you know, as the one man, it makes him the giant mouthpiece of the body of Christ and you just the tiny ear. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, seriously.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it creates a competition too, between, um, the pastor being the head mm-hmm. whereas in Scripture we see that Christ is the head, so the members have stolen from them the the um experience they could have of of seeing the church operate as it should when someone is basically I mean stealing the limelight from Christ really
0: yeah. And they'll, of course, say it's all about him and that their job is to preach the gospel and stuff. You'll hear that, but... um,
1: Unless they're in the Word, though, which we're going to get into about how authority comes because of truth.
0: Yeah. And if we go back to uh, uh, Nathan, I'm not even going to call him a pastor this time, Nathan Dudley. No. um, And listen one more time to what he has to say. This is what he would say.
2: Amen. Yeah, watch your pastor. Watch your pastor. I said, Watch your pastor. Watch him. Stay behind him. Imitate him. Do what he does in prayer, in worship, in helping the preacher. I want to tell you something. When somebody else is standing behind the pulpit, church that you attend besides your pastor, you need to watch your pastor. Amen. Yeah, And if your pastor's getting behind that preacher, then you get behind that preacher. Your pastor gets a little puzzled expression on his face, and you need to sit there and think, well, I wonder what's going on here.
0: I got to pause it because this again is not, this is not biblical instruction here. This is cult-like teaching where you listen to one person and you act like they act and you imitate everything they do.
1: That's weird.
0: It's not biblical. Paul praised the Bereans for going back to the scripture and comparing what he preached and what he taught yes. to what the what the scripture said. So if you are in a church where a pastor is saying these kind of things where you just listen to me because I have the authority and I've been put in this position by God and anything that I say is good. And if I mess up and say something wrong, well, God will take care of me and he'll deal with me. That That is not biblical at all. It's not. And it's, and it's, it, it is the making of a cult in every single definition Sense of the
1: word. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry. I, I can't. I mean, hearing him say things like that.
1: It's disgusting. It is.
0: I I can't give him any more time. I'm sorry. I will again (laughs) link it below. If you want to go listen to the whole thing, it is out of control. It's just out of control.
1: Good way to
0: put it. So uh, some of the scriptures that they would say to us (laughs) in coming against them would be Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your soul as those who will give an account. Oh boy. And then you also have the Romans 13 chapter, the big, um, let every b- person be in subjection, subjection oh, yeah. to the governing authorities, um, scripture. Well,
1: the next part says for there's no authority except from God. <laughs>
0: I mean, but again, for, um, you need to take the whole council of scripture and, yes. and let the clear passages interpret, the, uh, unclear passages and you can't just yank one scripture out of context and base your whole Western view of Christianity on that. Um, and when you read scriptures like this, or you hear scriptures like this, we can, so often coming out of these systems say, I want to believe the Bible. I want to be obedient. Um, he is the pastor. He is the shepherd. He's God's servant. He's God's mouthpiece, you know? And so, um, in so many cases, like he knows more than we know. He studies the Bible all the time. I, I could just be out of line for thinking this way.
1: He's hearing from God. Who am
0: I to question? Who am I to question? Yeah. I just better go along. The pastor said so. The pastor said so. Why? Because he's the pastor. That's why. That's why. That's the dangerous part of this whole thing.
1: It's like a parent saying, because I told you so, that's why.
0: It's exactly like that. I would say that this type of thinking is a symptom of living under leadership that legislates and demands obedience to their authority yeah, and it rests on a false basis of authority, and we have Scripture to combat this. And Jesus confronted false spiritual authority; he did in his day with the Pharisees and the scribes. And so, um, we're going to take a little um, excerpt out of the the book we've talked about before, which is the Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. We'll link that below as well. And just kind of, um, we'll read a little bit of it, we'll talk a little bit of it and try to wrap this episode up so it's not too long, but you have to listen to this because it's so good to um, really clarify and understand where biblical authority comes from and that we're not just against pastors or we're not just trying to um, find another thing to pick apart. I mean, it it is a big deal when you live your life in a system where this one man is making all the decisions and... Um, in many cases you're living in fear and um, not being able to really be what God wants you to be Mm -hmm. uh, through Christ um, because of that, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, a lot of times studying scripture through uh, different lenses and stuff like that too. So you have no way to really even be a good Berean Mm -hmm. (laughs) when you're being so manipulated with the word of God.
0: If we point out what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. Mm. Another um, translation says the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Oh, obviously the chair of Moses here that Jesus is referring to is not a literal chair. It's rather speaking of the seat of authority. Mm-hmm. For instance, a chair in a philosophy department in a college. It's not a literal chair. Right. But it speaks of an earned position of authority in the department. Yes. <laughs> um, imagine that. And so the, the Greek word here for chair is cathedra. And the Latin has taken that word and made a phrase from it called ex cathedra, which means to speak out of a place of authority. Okay. So if you or I were to speak ex cathedra, we would be uh, speaking in, from a place of authority. Okay. If we look at this passage, um, Jesus is pointing out, of course, that um, the Pharisees and the scribes were putting themselves into this position. They'd seated themselves in Moses's position, a position given only by God. Mm -hmm. These men had taken um, the authority for themselves and it hadn't been given to them. Um, Secondly, the sole basis on which they had grasped this authority was based on their position and rank as pharisees and scribes not because they had earned it
1: (laughs) sounds familiar
0: yeah and i'll read now from um the book in other words their authority was not founded on the fact that they were wise Mm. discerning or true or and true it was based solely in the fact that they were in charge think about that for a moment what a convenient system this is the system that will let you be in control, even if you are a Pharisee whose outward holiness hides an empty heart, yes. a scribe who is an expert at little more than rote religious performance, or a pastor who doesn't want to look inside, mm-hmm. an elder who doesn't want others to know there are serious problems in your own family. Mm. Yikes. Yikes. Um, they go on to the book in the book in this chapter to talk about how the, ki- the criteria for leadership and authority in the Old Testament was based on three things, gender, age, and race. Oh, um, The first criteria was age. You had to be old. The second was gender. You had to be a male. And third was race. You had to be a Hebrew. This system favored old Hebrew males. Kind of like the pastor system minus the Hebrew thing, like, you know, yeah. although they're young now. So the system favored the old Hebrew males and it did not matter if you were wise, gentle, discerning or spirit directed or if you were a young Gentile woman, you did not have authority because you didn't fit the criteria. Yeah. Um, but then when we look to the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came and blew that system to pieces when the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, according yes. to Acts 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all mankind. All
1: mankind.
0: Both men and women were given the ability to prophesy yes. and receive the Spirit. Uh, dwelling in them now this passage in acts chapter two where it says that this prophecy was fulfilled um, shows that now spiritual authority is not based on external criteria such as age gender or race but rather on the holy spirit's work in the life of a believer so i think we can get from that in the new covenant that we see jesus establishing a new basis of authority It was no longer age, gender, or race. It's now based on the evidence of the Holy Spirit within us.
1: Within us, yes.
0: Attributes like maturity, wisdom, genuine holiness, and real knowledge are required in order to evidence Jesus's brand of authority. Wow. Wow. It's not because I said so anymore or because I'm the pastor. That doesn't cut it. It
1: doesn't work anymore.
0: He goes on to write in the chapter, so if my basis for authority is solely based on an office, I have a false base of authority. Let's get a biblical perspective on true spiritual authority considering some of the examples of those who demonstrated it in the Bible. Yeah. So we have the example of Moses. That's the first one. And I love what he points out in the book. Um, he points out that just because Moses made a pronouncement didn't mean it was automatically authoritative. It his authority came from the fact that he was truthful uh-huh. and clearly told the people exactly what God told him.
1: Yeah, he which in today's world would be reading Scripture mm-hmm. and preaching the Word like Paul told in Timothy in context. To do. In context.
0: In context. Yeah. So if God had given Moses something to say and he had turned around and sa- and somehow uh, made it different, would he still have had the authority? No. So we can get from this that the only legitimate authority that Moses had when he spoke was because he spoke exactly what God <laughs> told him to say.
1: Oh, that's so good.
0: So in the, in the chapter, they... He um, goes on to say, from Moses, we draw this conclusion. Though people may honor us with a position of leadership, we don't have authority in God's eyes simply because we are named the pastor, the elder, or the chairman. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to speak the truth to have authority. We're going to have to be sensitive to the spirit to have authority. We're going to have to be wise and seek to know and say what God says clearly and accurately and accurately. Wow. So another example would be Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of the church in Ephesus, a large church previously led by Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we look at Paul's instruction in the letters to Timothy, at no time did Paul suggest to Timothy to puff out of his chest and announce boldly, I'm a pastor. <laughs> no, he said things like this in 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God yeah. as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth oh. uh the third example would be paul um we while we rightly could accept everything Paul has said in the epistles as authoritative, Paul himself warns that just because he says something doesn't make it true, yeah. He says in Galatians 1 and 8, even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, to you let him be accursed. So the uh, the writer goes on to say in this chapter, if Paul is saying, listen, Galatians, if I start twisting the gospel, don't listen to me. Yes. You see, authority isn't in me. As long as I speak the truth, I have authority. Right. Authority is not automatically a part of a person. The authority is in the truth. Oh, And then we can look to Jesus as our final example. When people heard Jesus teach, one of their common responses was amazement. They marveled because he had ne- they had never experienced such authoritative preaching and teaching. Mm-hmm. It was different than the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. And what they noticed was the authority that Jesus yeah. had. So... Um, I will wrap up this excerpt of the book from The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. Um, He wraps up talking about these four examples and says, these four great portraits, talking about the authenticity, these are four great portraits to relate to the text we noted earlier that I read, Mm -hmm. the Romans one, the Hebrews one. Men like Moses, Timothy, and Paul and Jesus couldn't authenticate with the fabric of their very lives that their authority was from God. Mm. It's in that context that we should view those passages like Hebrews and Romans. That is, if someone rebels against living, demonstrated an authentic authority that is obviously a result from a life submitted to God, then he or she is opposing the governance of God. It does not mean that a leader can take this attitude, I said it, and I'm the authority, so it must be right. And even if it is wrong, you should submit to it oh. because submitting to me is the same as submitting to God. Wow. We submit to authority when it demonstrates authenticity. Even today, we have leaders who are like the scribes and Pharisees saying, quote, I have authority because I'm sitting in the chair of authority, Yeah, i.e. the pastor's seat. Yeah, the role. I speak ex cathedra a th- <laughs> to you, binding you to accept and obey all my words. Because scribes and Pharisees have no real authority, they have to assert their position. Correct. They forget or ignore the model that Jesus provided when he simply came and spoke truth. They forget that the basis of his authority was clearly not an office or role or position because he had none of these when he was here on this earth. Oh, Whenever or wherever we see a system or a person posturing or assuming a position of authority based solely on the role, office, or position, we are dealing with a false basis of authority. If a person's spiritual authority rests on the sole fact that, quote, unquote, I am the pastor, there is a good chance that they have taken that posture because they have no real authority.
1: Oh, man.
0: I just could not but read that um, because it's so so good to really draw a conclusion and wrap up this episode on um,
1: what authority truly looks like it
0: comes from. Yeah, and um, if you have a pastor in your life, an elder or Um, leaders that are helping you like they should be following the biblical example of that and any authority they have should come directly from the word of God and not just because they're in that role telling you because I am the pastor that you can't do this you can't do that or you need to do this or you need to do that that's a very uh, dangerous place to be in I would say
1: yeah, very dangerous. And I would just point out too that the word um, minister, like even if you're going to take it down to that level and just say, well, I'm just a minister, you know, that is a servant in its original. That is a servant. And so, you should see that kind of posturing.
0: Yeah. And in so many cases, we see the opposite where the pastor is lifted up and everybody serves him. And
1: And then he starts demanding
0: that too. I was talking to um, a couple who had come out of a very abusive um, church system. And one of the things that the, the, um, People in the church had to do was when the pastor's wife got to the church on Sunday morning, they had to take the pastor's wife's car and go get it washed and detailed every <laughs> um, Sunday morning. Uh-huh. And to me, that's like the opposite of what yes. biblically a pastoral role would be when you're the one serving um, the body. And that doesn't mean that if there's an elder or someone that is been doing this for a long time, that you don't give them honor where honor is due. Like the scripture talks about giving people um, honor and especially those who carry God's word rightfully. So, but to think that we would, you know, treat them like kings and queens just because they're in that role, I think is where...
1: It's anti-scripture because that wasn't what Jesus came and did. I mean, it wasn't. He, He stooped to the level and helped people, you know, and wanted to serve people.
0: Yeah. He was them. such a, so. a biblical example of what a leader should look like. And so hopefully yes. in this conversation today and some of the points that we've made and um, has helped maybe some who may be struggling with that role in their life yeah. right now. And particularly if you're just freshly out of a high controlled charismatic type situation, Pentecostal church, where we have seen and still see the role of the pastor being elevated to the highest position. And even in, again, linked below in the description, I will link to the document where the UPCI, which is the organization we came out of, very clearly states the role of the pastor in the local church and how they are the end all be all for the church system.
1: Yeah, I guess I would just like to say to our listeners to fight the fear. I know I was very fearful of the pastor role. I was fearful of the man himself. Um,
0: again, from passages being taken out of context, like touch, not that the, the anointed one, things like that.
1: And he's going to give an account. So you better just act perfect in front of him, at least, you know? And so I would just say, don't let that fear get to you. Like study for yourself. We're going to stand before God alone. We're responsible to work out our own salvation Mm -hmm. and you can only do that with fear and trembling yourself, of the word of, you know, studying the word of God like a good Berean. And so...
0: And realizing that all authority comes from the scripture. Yes. And so if you have elders and teachers and leaders in your life that are rightly handling God's word, which is sometimes the the hardest thing to really discern in all cases, that's why I think you need to study and really not just the Bible, but study what some of these high control systems are, the red flags of high control systems are. Yeah. We have a, an episode where we touch briefly on some of the red flags that you can see in high control systems, cult-like um, behaviors and behaviors practices. And, practices. Yeah. and if you're seeing those things in leadership or in the system that you're in, then you're not in a, a system that has a good...
1: church or gathering. Right, You're that not.
0: is having biblical authority demonstrated
1: God. by the leadership. And please, please, please don't be afraid to stand up to that. It, I mean, you can leave. Like, please right. know that you can leave. And you in most cases, I
0: would say that uh, trying to come up against that is going to be a losing battle.
1: It is, yeah. They, I mean, I shouldn't say it is, that's extreme. But like, in most cases, it will be a losing battle. They will not want to have this discussion with you. And you are free to leave,
0: yeah, and I would say, um, in many cases, these abusive systems have been perpetuating this kind of teaching and these kind of yeah. um, heavy burdens that they place on people for many, many years, if not generations. And They're so, it. um, it's going to be it's going to be hard to break that by with one person. And you're going to get all the proof texts, some of the yeah. ones we've mentioned today, as the examples of why you're coming against God's anointed one, and so. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, this has been helpful. We really want um, people to be free from the control, yes. the spiritual abuse. Again, I'm hoping that we can talk a little bit more about spiritual abuse in general in um, an upcoming episode, maybe hopefully next week. Yeah. Um, because it's so important. And why we are doing this podcast is to help others be free of that. Again, um, thanks to people that have really bulldozed the trail. Um, before us and have been so helpful in our journey yeah, like Lois over wow. at spiritualabuse.org. We'll link her website below and just others. Um, will um, maybe link us some other podcasts and stuff below too, just because there are people that have been fighting this fight against spiritual abuse oh, so for, for years. And, um, you too can be free from spiritual abuse. And if you think that there's not a life on the other end of being spiritually abused and that your life's going to fall apart and that without that one man, that one vision-casting leader in your life, that you're not going to have any direction and not know, it's just not not true. true. And there's so many um, that have already, again, gone before us that have proven yeah. that and you too can be free. And, yeah, if, and
1: I was the biggest people pleaser probably in the world. Maybe not, but I felt like I was and am working on that now, but I was able to get out. So I know that anyone else. Can.
0: Well, we look at that. Uh, if God can do it for us, he can do it for yeah. others, but it does take steps. You have to be willing to have some hard conversations, perhaps have some rough transition. And it's not going to be the easiest at the beginning, but I can guarantee you that the freedom in Christ on the other side of being out of these high control systems is worth every bit of uncomfortableness that you might experience. And, and we're not through all of those. We still, like we've said before, we have friends and family and people that are still in it. And we still have, um, hard conversations that we have to have from time to time. And it's not always the easiest road to walk. Um, no, it's not, but
1: but it's worth it. And,
0: and ultimately we want to be in line with what God's word says.
1: Amen. Yeah. And we want, we want any authority in our lives, as we've mm-hmm. learned today, to come straight from the Word of God.
0: Yeah, that's and, what gives authority. And it's just it's just so uh, very very important to, um, not be burdened down with a man made system that um, only brings condemnation and fear, and damages yeah. faith in the long run. Yeah. And so that's the point. Of the conversation today, um, yeah. ultimately, is to hopefully bring hope that on the other side of that, and that there are people out there that are leading um, to help others through this transition. And so,
1: yeah, it's for if, freedom that Christ made us free.
0: So, amen. So and so, free. hopefully, um, you have found some of this helpful, or yeah. you might know someone that it would be helpful. If so, there's ways to share below and yeah. um, ways to. Uh, get get a hold of us if you'd like to uh, further have conversations. We love to hear from our listeners each and every week and so um, yeah, until next week we hope that uh, you're blessed.
1: Yes and thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time around
0: on the Grace Escape podcast. Have a great week.
1: Bye.